I'm Josh Cooperman with Convo by Design, and this is the first of a 10-part series called Convo by Design Presents West Edge Wednesdays with conversations held at the West Edge Design Fair in late November 2023 from Barker Hanger in Santa Monica, California. This conversation features Moya O'Neill of Moya Living, Nancy Russert of Libo Interiors and Twist Custom, Lenora Aguilar and Judy Davis of Vintage Junction, and it's moderated by my friend uh, Kelly Phillips Badal from Lux Magazine. So this is a conversation called Upcycled, Recycled, Repurposed, Local and Fabulous, specifying and sourcing locally. The idea here is that design has entered a new era, one that is not defined by simply beauty or expense alone. We've entered an experiential phase of interior design landscape design, exteriors, and architecture. One that places a greater value on the experience and enjoyment of materiality, objects, and usefulness of things, as opposed to simply how expensive, luxurious, or rare things happen to be. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, or if you're watching, thank you for watching. If you want information on any of the panelists or any of the topics discussed or any of the sponsors that are participating, please make sure to go to the podcast tab on Convo by Design and click on this particular episode and you will find all of the links in the show notes. Also important to say, this conversation was recorded live, as I mentioned, from West Edge on the stage which was presented by BR Home and it was designed by Marve Designs. Absolutely exquisite. And, and if you want, make sure that you, you check out the full video uh, in our Instagram feed so you can, you can see it, you can hear it, you can catch the, uh, the whole experience. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you to my partners and sponsors, uh, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for presenting Convo by Design. Thank you to the West Edge Design Fair for having us out again this year. And thank you to Moya, Judy, Lenora, Nancy, and Kelly for your incredible insights, knowledge base, and willingness to share your gifts. So let's get to it. Here's Kelly. Thank you so much, Josh. That was such an amazing introduction. And now I know I'm going to ask you guys about set decorators and what you do with them, too, because I don't even know this story. Um, but thank you guys all for coming today. I'm Kelly Phillips Badal. I'm Lux Interiors and Designs LA and SoCal editor. And we're here today talking about upcycled, recycled, repurposed, local, fabulous, the whole era of material circularity that I'm really interested in just talking about how it's going from every angle, like the luxury side, from the DIY side. Um, from its, how it's going in, in interior design, how it's going in architecture. There's all sorts of angles to explore with this. Um, but before we really dive in, I wanted to ask each of you to introduce yourselves, because there's some really interesting characters up here on the stage. Judy, you're up first. Hi, I'm Judy Davis. Uh, Vintage Junction is the name of our company. And um, 50 years ago, I had a goal to transition a lifetime of belongings into another life to belong through managing estate sales or buying and selling estates and, and then warehousing a lot of goods. I've got about 50,000 square feet of stuff, so uh, lots to see. But that's, that's who I am. I love to repurpose and reestablish these memorable pieces into your home. 
My name is Lenora Aguilera, and I am a nurse by profession and am a vintage and antique lover for as long as I can remember, starting from childhood. And I was very fortunate to meet Judy about four years ago, and being a part of her life and a part of what she has created has actually been life-changing. So I am honored to be here with all of you and to sit beside this amazing woman. Well, I can't wait to come to your store. Wow, I'm on my way right now. Uh, I'm Moya with Moya Living. We manufacture high-end luxury powder-coated steel and fine-finished steel cabinetry for the indoor-outdoor. A little bit of history, we actually started by reconditioning lab furniture out of metal, and that began my love of metal. And I went to school for interior design. I was working in the scientific community. And then it kind of you just kind of become who you are and what you do, and it kind of just morphed into you know, cosmetic labs, then it morphed into people's homes and friends' offices, and then thus Moya Living was born. Nancy, you're up. You have a little paparazzi over here. Did you know, know. that? <laughs> That's my team. Perfect. Um, I'm Nancy Russert. My story's a little bit longer than theirs, but I'll try and make it quick. Um, I wear a couple of hats in the design world. I started out 22 years ago with my interior design business um, located in Manhattan Beach. Um, my business sort of grew as my children grew, and I had a custom upholstery workroom I was using for my business. Uh, it, it became somewhat challenging for me because they were hard to work with, they weren't always truthful, their product wasn't always on par. So I started visiting the workroom every single Tuesday just to check in on my product. And I ended up not even talking to the ownership, but kind of connecting with the workers in the workroom. And it just, I loved it. Like they, they took such good care of me. They, they looked at my products with me. They were just amazing human beings. So 12 years ago, I got a crazy idea. I think I could do that and do it well. So I decided to open up my own custom upholstery workroom to the trade in Gardena. And um, it's actually a beautiful combination with my interior design business because if I need a custom sofa in four weeks, I know where to get it. Um, and it just sort of embraced my love for fabrics and furniture, which is always what I was drawn to. So not only do I get to see my designs, I get to see uh, interior designers across the country, what they're doing, the fabrics they're selecting. It's just, I love it every day. And um, I, we also do a ton of reupholstery, so that helps with the repurposing and people find treasures that they bring to us. So it's a, it's a love and a passion. I feel like everyone here has this very unique window, almost like a sneaky window into all these different designers doing things and also into these areas that you're focusing on specifically. Um, well, so before we actually dive into everything, I just wanted to say some kind of bigger ideas about materiality, just so everyone here, even though I know you're incredibly educated, like knows what we're talking about here. So the whole idea of materiality is just really using existing materials that's like recycled resources, scraps, and then making them anew again. Re you know, we know the whole thing, Re reusing repurposing, transforming, upcycling. Um, 
I would argue too that circularity suddenly, at least in these last few years, it's not really something that's going on behind the scenes. It's kind of a hot trend, but it's also not something that like is a flash in the pan. It's something that I think more people are embracing as an actual solution to what we all know is going on. Like landfills are filling up and we have this new generation of, you know, even the TikTok kids coming up and being like, oh, I'm looking for dovetail joints. I'm looking for things that are, I'm looking for things that are well-made because they're actually aware of that. And I don't know, I, you know, when I was growing up, it was like recycling was still kind of new and it was like, great, everybody do your part, but we didn't really know what was then happening with it. Now we probably know too much about what's happening with it and it's not all good. It's not the perfect solution. So circularity really seeks to even just get waste out of the equation. Like instead of buying something, using, for it, using it for a few years and just tossing it out on the street, letting the trash pick up, pick it up, what else could be done with that thing? Or, you know, can it, can it go back into the community? Can something else be made of it? So every single person here does that in some way, which is why this is gonna be such an interesting crew. I'd also argue like circular design, it's wellness design too. It's really a future-minded design philosophy. My gosh, I should be saving these remarks for the end so we have this feel good, but don't worry, we'll come back around. Um, and I'd also argue that sustainability itself is trendy. So, you heard it here first. It's trendy and it's gonna stick around. <laughs> but I'd say also that within the, within the pages of Lux Magazine, we're suddenly seeing things like patina or time-worn, and they're like said with, with like reverence by designers. Like homeowners suddenly want these things. Designers are having people ask for these things. I think there's always been a sector of people who've understood like the beauty of an antique or the beauty of patina or like how, how wonderful it is to re-enhance a historical home, something like that, bring the soul, etc. Um, but I think this has actually hit the mainstream in a way that we haven't seen until quite recently, in my opinion. So I'm curious to hear from each of you, um, how has that desirability of like those handcrafted, patented, time-worn objects really changed over time? And I'm happy to ask you two first, because I feel like you're seeing this firsthand both in all the things you're sourcing, but I'm also curious, like, what are people looking for? And what, what kind of sticks around the best? Judy, why don't you kick us off? Um, it, it's true. It, uh, it, it, maybe you could use the word trend, but uh, the young people, my market is uh, basically 25 to 45. That's the biggest share of it. And that idea that I had 50 years ago of uh, saving this stuff, it's they're making it happen. And um, I'll tell you that along with patina and uh, time-worn, there's dust. And, <laughs> and if, if you come to my facility, and if dust were an illegal substance, I'd be in jail. So, but that's just part of it. Uh, but we are seeing the young people are loving, they, they walk in time after time and say, this is my grandma's house. This is, I remember this from some childhood memory that they have, and that's what they want to take home. They're building their own. They want their own. And um, they've, they've got jobs now. They're getting away from the Ikeas and some of those, which are great, got them through the time that they needed them, and, and now are buying real stuff. And they do look for those dovetail drawers. And I said, well, don't forget the rabbit ear drawers. And they look at one and what, what? Well, let me show you what that means, too. Is there's just lots of styles put together. And I've got a, one cabinet 
made in 1835 by hand for, the, for his bride. And I love to show him those kind of things. But Lenora is so good at that, being a nurse. It really, every person that walks in is kind of a patient. <laughs> and she makes sure, she's the designer part of this. She's just so good with uh, them and bringing color and thought and memory into it. Yeah, Lenora, I feel like you do a lot of like almost diagnosing what people yeah. want yeah, when they walk through the door, whether it's color or a piece or, you know, how, do you, how did you gain that eye? I listen to what people come in and ask. I have them show me pictures of what their home looks like and what their vision is like because I feel that more and more young people are really looking to create a space that is welcoming, that reflects their personality. And you can certainly blend the old and the new, but but an antique and a vintage piece as is tremendous character that you just cannot find in a box. And if you think about all of the pieces and all of the storage facilities that we see being built all the time, I would love to gain access to all of those storage facilities and see all of the treasures that are already there. Young people are really interested in mid-century modern pieces. That is a tremendous trend but they also are looking for pieces that are going to have a narrative, a history. Um, when my daughter and her husband um, got married and they were furnishing their first apartment, they are minimalists, and I, that's beyond my comprehension because I <laughs> certainly am not. And I said, you know, just come. Come to the warehouse. Just look around. They never expected to see anything that they would want, and they came to a dining set, and they said, that's what I want. And I said, really? And they said, absolutely. I said, let me tell you a little bit of history about mid-century modern. And then Judy was able to say, I remember the family that I purchased that dining room set. She told them, drove them by the house that it was at, the boys that sat at that table, and the family that ate there, you know, decades before they have, it, it became then a part of their home. And they absolutely love, her, love it. And it's a treasure and it will be passed on from generations to generations because it is so well made and it is sustainable. That's actually an amazing story on two points. Like one, that any minimalist can come to a warehouse as large as yours and find things that like works in their life. And two, like, this really speaks to a broader point. Like, we are the stories we tell. And those stories, like, that story of the family that owned that before, the fact that the fingerprints might still be on the table or little dings are gum, on the table. Or the gum. Whatever. The gum stuck underneath. Whatever it might be, like, those become part of the stories. And um, I think people actually really respond to that. Like, it's not something that's just out of a box. Not that I would knock anything right out of the box because there's some great completely new things just waiting to get their history made that are out there. Um, but it's a whole different layer, I think, that it adds to something like this. And Judy, to your point too, like the 25 to 45 year olds coming to your shop really flies in the face of like the old, you know, grandma picking through the stuff. Like it's not exactly who's coming in these days. Yeah, so, right. And you know, even, um, uh, I'll say, you know, you don't need 30 teacups like we had, <laughs> but you need four. You know, it wouldn't be nice to have a conversation with the person with a real 
teacup that you wash out and put away for the next group. And they, they buy into that. You're right. And this, the young men that come in, when they pay for things, they pull out this wad of money. It looks like they're going to the bubblegum store. And I say, you know, you need a money clip. And they're inexpensive, but just dress up a little bit. And then I sell them cufflinks in a tie class, but they, they love it. So. Well, so the original question here, just to throw it back to our group, was about like the desirability of, of these like more time-worn objects. And Moya, I'd be curious of your take on this because you know, you're seeing it from a different angle. Even as your products are new, you're you're also folding things into that. But you're also observing this in the world as well. Yeah, what we're seeing is in the luxury market, the people can buy my competitors and it, they're lovely, but they want something that will be timeless and classic and stand the test of time. It's not like what everybody ha else has. It's something that has meaning. They're usually kind of unique. They, you know, they, they want something, our, our cabinets will last past your great grandkids. And, so it, and then we can make it custom for them. And then we, they can pick their own colors. They can pick their own finish. So it kind of becomes their own. So we see a lot of that um, as far as uh, the recycled content. You know, it's made out of steel. Worst case, it's going to end up in your grandkids' garage or something. I mean, we were just discussing recycling. We, we recycled lab cabinets. You recycled lockers. I mean, it, it's never going to end up in a landfill. Well, yeah, and as far as the material goes, steel is one of the most reusable materials, as it's far as I'm aware. I'm not an expert. Yeah, but. it's durable. It's flood resistance. It's, it's, um, it's stain resistant. It actually scratches less than wood, dents less than wood. So there's a lot of pros and cons. The biggest obstacle for me is having people go touch and feel it. Once you go touch and feel it, booth 423, um, you'll understand it doesn't even feel like steel. I mean, but they always think it's going to sound like a Budweiser can, but it's just, it's gorgeous. Right, do it, they knock on it to see if it dings yeah. and things like that? Yeah, and we sound dead in it, yeah. soft clothes, but it's just, it's a real luxury, it's a legacy item. It's, that's what it is. And it goes so well with antiques, and I love that people build their homes with things that mean something, just not a bunch of crap. Like, stop buying crap, everyone. I just... You heard, just yeah, this is the word, stop yeah, buying crap. Stop buying crap. Yeah. yeah. I'll end on that one. Well, and I, I think that's a really good point, too, that, like, you know, you're making something new, but it's really a legacy product. Like, it's something that almost becomes a modern heirloom right in the, right in the moment that it's made. It's kind of like when you buy something from Design Within Reach, the Ames chair, it'll, it'll last that long. It's not going to be, you know all screwed up in two years or five years or 10 years. It's going to last. I mean, we recycled cabinets that were 50 years old and used to sell them, you know, decades ago. So it's a testament. That's what, how I fell in love with steel. Okay, quick note to everyone. You have to be like Taylor Swift and almost like eat your microphone okay. a little bit in order for it to really Can you hear me? Through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nancy, I'm so, I'm so interested to hear your take on this because you're, you're seeing this world both from an interior designer and as someone who's making a product at the same time that, that hews to some of these views. So, yeah. Um, on, the, on the workroom side, we see the gamut. We see um, a piece that someone may have acquired on the side of the road, you know, and they just want to repurpose it and add some amazing fabric. Uh, we see thing, people that are in their generation and coming from an aunt or coming from a grandma or, you know, coming from their parents, something they grew up in that they've held on to that they want to repurpose. Um, and then we see things coming from first dibs that are so very expensive and perfectly upholstered when we get them. It hurts my heart a little bit 
to rip it all off and put something new on it. But you know, this is what this is what luxury. This is how luxury wants to reinvent things. So, so we do that. But it's super gratifying to see the change and and what just changing fabric can do to a piece. Like it, sometimes I will say pieces come in and I'm like wow, I don't see it. That's like very not attractive looking. And then we add what we do to it and I'm, I'm surprised. Like it really just changes it and elevates it and, and it's super, super fun and interesting. On my interior design side, it's still a struggle. It's still a struggle to get people, let's add something old, let's do this, let's do that. It, it takes a certain person. Typically, either people are focused that way or they're not. So the challenge is, and I like the challenge, you know, to, to talk and show and expose the person that isn't aware of it, like you did. Um, and nine times out of ten, they, they end up wanting something with a history or an interest or something that they don't see on Instagram in every single design Photoshop. So it's a good mix. Well, and that's a really good jumping off point to talk about how like the luxury market actually does respond to things like antiques, vintage pieces, things that can last for a long time, things that are reupholstered versus brand new. I think there's still like, there is that person who still wants things to look like a hotel. Like everything's new and clean. No one has touched it. Maybe it's hypoallergenic. I don't know. All the things that you associate with the brand, brand, brand new. Um, but, I mean, I was thinking about cases in point, like how has this changed, and just wanted to bring up, even Hermes has a um, whole program, a whole studio within it, and that would be, I wanted to make sure I wrote it down right, Petit H. Petit H is using all of the Hermes remnants that are left over from making those gorgeous products and bags and shoes and all the things that they make and turning them into new things. And to me, that, that's like such a good example of like, oh, even if one of the most revered luxury houses is, is finding a way to do this, that this is filtering into everyone else's How minds. much is it? Yeah. <laughs> There's some dangerously priced items, for sure. Like, it's still way too much for Those a keychain. Those recyclers, them. <laughs> a recycled keychain. But that is so much like my growing up, uh, watching um, the women of the church piece a quilt together. And when they were done with whosever quilt it was, all the scraps, they all combined their scraps to create something else that the church would raffle. So it's nothing new, but we just didn't do it because we were opulent and could, right. we didn't have to, but now we do. And there are third world countries would love to have those products. They're, they, there are people here that bail all of that. It goes to Nicaragua, it goes to Venezuela, it goes to Uganda, Nigeria, all of that. They're all here just wanting all that old material we're throwing away. Well, and I'd say, like, that that's one solution for sure. Like, yes, we've been sending stuff overseas a lot. And I think, I mean, I'm definitely very interested in, like, the idea of, like, keeping it more in our community, like, like what you had done before, like, in the church, like, using those things kind of immediately. Because to me, like, when you do bundle things, when you send it overseas, like, that's still adding to the carbon footprint somewhat, like... Um, but of course, if someone's using it in a really innovative way, no matter where it goes in the world, like, I'd love to see something like that happen. Moya, what about you? Well, this I, have, I, world? I was thinking about this the last couple days, and, and I think maybe the issue is a bigger issue that, you know, my parents were depression kids. They saved everything. I think my mom has 5,000 cottage cheese containers that I'm going to have to get rid of when she passes away. 
But um, I think then the next generation, you know, we kind of got, you know, I knew how to sew, I knew how to embroider, I knew how to do things, we built a cabin. But I think now that we're getting away from knowing how to make things ourselves, you know, I, I live in Laguna Beach. I see a person selling a necklace that you could go to the bead store and buy the beads, and they're selling it for like a thousand dollars. I'm like, oh my God, go to the bead store and make your necklace. But it's, I think we've kind of lost that, and and maybe that's the bigger picture: getting people more back involved into actually hands-on making things, and because then you have a higher appreciation of what you're buying. You can kind of tell the junk from the good stuff. You guys have the good stuff. And I agree with you. I think the repurposing is probably. Uh, my favorite part, yeah. uh, you know, to create uh, a kitchen island out of a beautiful antique, uh, you know, vanity or, and, and, and yes, the, you can take a, a beautiful vanity and then turn it into a small kitchen island for an apartment. And then that could go on to somebody's home and it can be repurposed again as a nightstand and nothing all, and you know, things don't need to all match. You know, you can have a new piece and you can have uh, an antique piece, but I think also what's exciting to me is that I really hope that there's going to be more artisans that are going to be able to refine their skills in re in restoring and repurposing because I think there's been a period of time where we kind of lost some of those artisans, so I'm really excited and hope that more young people start to uh, look at learning those crafts because if we don't do that, we're going to lose the skills. So I think that's also really exciting. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I don't Nancy. know if anyone saw the um, outfits on display made by upholstery fabric, it seemed like. It was incredible. It totally inspired me, and I thought, we do um, donate to like local sewing classrooms and things like that, but I thought, um, you know, like, fit them or would use that. I hadn't thought that in clothing they would repurpose the upholstery weight fabric and they looked amazing. Well, and fabric is a good thing I wanted to jump into talking about too because textiles and textile waste is like a huge part of the waste that goes into landfills. I read some like absolutely insane fact from the EPA just saying that like 92 million tons is created every year and I mean... It's not that big of a planet. Like, that's, that's a lot. And a lot of that is coming from our industry. Um, there was a designer that I spoke with in Denver who told me that she launched her whole business off of dumpster diving behind the Denver Design District's um, dumpsters, which held, like, fabric remnants from these very, very expensive rolls wow. that had been on display that could no longer be used because you have to make room for the new stuff. And so she'd started a whole pillow line based on this. There's like amazing makers here in LA. Reweave is one for sure that are using some of these luxury fabrics and giving them new life. Um, and Nancy, I think you, you can kind of speak to this too because you are part of this. You are seeing not only like textiles that you're using, but like what do you do with those scraps and what's the challenge of doing something with remnants to keep them out of the landfill anyway? We have a lot of fabric in our possession at the moment. And it's funny that you said that because internally we call it dumpster diving when we're going to, you know, oftentimes a designer will come in and see something on the wall and she can use it. We love that. Like, please don't go buy more fabric if you need one yard and we happen to have something that'll work for you. That's incredible. Um, we collect quite a bit of fabric because oftentimes we deal directly with the manufacturers for the fabric and to acquire 
those relationships, you have to buy a certain amount of yardage. You don't need that amount of yardage to, to do what we're doing, so we have leftovers. Um, we, we use them. We, we don't dispose of them. We either try to have someone else enjoy them. We donate. Um, at the holidays, I try and get creative. And last year, I made all my clients napkins with little leather. Um, oh, I love it. Well, I brought you some. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, bread baskets. You know, like what, whatever. Just we... It's kind of a fun part because when the designers walk in, that's the first thing they see is our wall of fabric bolts. And, you know, every once in a while we try and reorganize so it's not as overwhelming. But um, That was going to be my next question. So you have these things, but then how do you store them all? Like, that's the trick to it, Yeah, too. we have industrial racks, those orange racks. with, mm-hmm. And they're, again, we try to keep them, you know, but then some of our workers will just, like, throw it in somewhere like that's gray. That doesn't go there. Like, put it over here. So, and then, you know, our smaller yardage, we have folded, kind of color-coded so people can get an idea of what we have and um, love to repurpose, love to be able to share that with people and, um, you know, not have it go to waste. That doesn't feel good, and um, that's super important to us, to work towards always repurposing the fabrics. I was going to add, too, that sometimes I feel like these problems seem so big, but the textile waste in particular, like, there actually seems like there is such an easy way to redo things, whether it's a quilt, whether it's a napkin, whether it's giving it to someone who is redoing something like that, um, versus just tossing it or recycling it or, or like, you know, I, I guess, like, sending it to be bundled at some point, too, is a way, but anything to keep it out it actually does feel like it's one of those ways that like an individual can do something that actually does make a difference, in my opinion. Um, but I'm curious, like for you two or for Moya to talk about this too, like um, are there any other ways that you have reused textiles or see ways to keep them, to keep them out? And Judy, you've already given us ideas too. You can give um, us more. The, the, um, I, I buy a lot of small stools. I, I guess it was... Every time I see one, I buy it because you can recover it with a small piece of fabric, and they seem to What is it, what is it again? Stools. Stools. Yeah, um, every small size, stools. Every, every size, and that's an easy way, and it's an easy staple job, you know, that uh, I can help the customer with uh, and uh, the fabrics. But um, uh, old fencing. Um, yes, I have taken out a lot of fencing myself. The contractor will say, it's so much if you take it out, it's so much if I take it out. So I, I've done the work. And those old boards, I, I am so protective of my old wood because it's hard, it's, it's rich with patina, and everyone wants to buy some of it to make um, a, a rack for the wall. A, a man just bought a, a whole bunch of old flooring that I had to build a wall in his kitchen with open shelf. So it's everything like that. I've even kept a lot of old nails and screws and things because you want it to look good. Square nails, handmade square nails that I pulled out uh, myself. Uh, My side note here is that this woman is like an energizer bunny. Like she does all this work herself and I can't believe it. She's like actually the one pulling out the nails. (laughs) I do wear out though. I also, I love silver and china and glassware i mean there just is probably a pattern that i not a pattern that i don't like but i think when you come across fabric and you can use that to dress your table you can have one set of dishes and you can get fabric and you can change it seasonally or weekly 
and it changes your whole decor. So I think also using that, the napkins are fabulous, but you can also dress a table and create a tablescape, and it's absolutely stunning. To make uh, recyclable grocery bags, I think, is, is, is wonderful. I don't sew, and I sure wish I did. Um, but also, you know, slip covering pieces of furniture. Um, you know, those, there's other ways of using those textiles to be able to find a beautiful antique or vintage chair or, or sofa and put fabric that you hand select and it's going to be your unique piece. No one else is going to have that piece of furniture. Well, and we've talked a lot about, like, forever pieces here, too. Like, you know, not only those pieces that you buy that can last, but pieces that can be reused and then become forever pieces, per se. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about again, Moya, as well. Like, we've hit this a little bit, like, about how steel is one of those things that, like, it lasts. It's an heirloom. It's an heirloom in the making. Um, but I was also curious, like, what, what drove you into steel versus doing wooden cabinetry or something like that versus doing something that's that's, well, more typical, I would say. Family. So I went to school at Woodbury, and then I got into sales, and like any young girl, I needed some money, and I asked my dad for some money, and he told me to sell some airborne particle analyzers, and I sold them all in 30 days, and so I started working with the family business, and we reconditioned. We've always been kind of like junk dealers. I mean, I've worked swap meets. Every Wednesday when we were kids, my dad would take my younger brother and go you know, digging for trash. We have a joke at work that when my dad was still alive, we would, we would bait him and put stuff in the trash can just to watch him go by and then <laughs> do a double take and look at it. So, um, and actually a funny story, when he started selling reconditioned spectrophotometers, he would tell the neighbor at the business where he used to work that he would give him 50 bucks for anything a certain size and then he would take it apart and he was the master tinkerer. So, um, I've kind of lost where I was going with all that, but why, why you went into steel So I got into steel. So then, or something like so that. So then you're just attracted, you're into what you're attracted to. I mean, I never thought I'd want metal cabinets in my house. I, I was like, ew, no. But when we started Moya Living, our, and then I started seeing the refinement, and then I have it in you know, my house, our house, it was just, it's so clean, it's so pristine, it's so, I mean, even for my dressers, you know, it's like, you put your underwear in there. It's all white and clean. And it's no bugs. It's, it's, it's super nice. It's just funny. But it's, it's just people have it in their mind what they think it is. So I kind of got, I had an aha moment. I live in Laguna Beach. I'm artistic. But I was always looking for my art outside of work. And then all of a sudden we're thinking, uh, we have a company. I can, metal and glass. It's super interesting. And it just kind of was born. And so it just, the, the lesson is just kind of pay attention to what you're interested in yeah. and just don't like get going one way and forget, you know. I mean, I'm so fascinated. I cannot wait to come to your shop. And I can't Me wait too. To come see you next week. I mean, I'm so I'm excited going. that I have these new friends up here. <laughs> so, I, and I just think stay curious. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, I love steel so much. I love steel indoor, and it's still a little bit of an uphill battle. But um, that's that's outdoor is is easy sell. My husband came up with that, but. For, you know, uh, speaking that for 50 years by day, I sold industrial equipment, cabinets and yeah. hand trucks and yeah. shelving and rack and all of that. And many times uh, we would, uh, they, with small budgets, we'd say, why don't we just repaint it? And I, I didn't know about you then, but now I do. Uh, it, just, it just brings, uh, lifts uh, the, the whole company with... Uh, things that are painted and cleaned yeah, up. Just like reupholstering a couch and it's exhilarating, repainting something, it's, it just, 
becomes new. It's just so fun. Well, in your steel, you're powder coating it, I believe, like in possibly every color of the rainbow. So do we tell do, more. We do a baked on powder coat, but now we just came out with this new live finish that on metal that we can, we can actually paint on a live finish that patinas and we can do bronze and brass and silver and brushed and all this different looks. So that's us moving forward as well. So yeah, we can, we do textured glossy and matte, but we can offer any color, which is dangerous when you tell your customer, hey, you have any color you want. That's the last thing you want to tell anybody. Oh, my God. But we, no, from a designer, they're like, can you match this exactly? Yes, we, we and can. of course and you we can. can. Yes. Yeah. 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 So then from a sustainability perspective, too, like, you know, again, you're using steel. It's something that can be used again and again. But if you want to change the design of your kitchen, you could just repowder coat the steel. Also you could repowder coat it. You could reface it. Um, I, you know, I wish we had the sensibilities more like Europe where they kind of take their kitchens with them and it's more like furniture and they just leave the sink or Japan, they, you know, they leave that. But, you know, we're building these big behemoth kitchens everywhere. In the 50s, there was a lot of metal cabinetry in kitchens. The yeah. 50s, we had metal cabinets in our kitchen. So it, my grandma did. And it, my goodness, they're still there, I think. There's a huge contingent of crazy people that love metal kitchen cabinets that are like followers. And when I do it modernism, they're all, they're all over us. They, they want to find the old St. Charles. They want to find the old Geneva, all that stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, we talk a lot about like craftsmanship when it comes to wooden cabinetry and like, oh, the carpentry, the craftsmanship, the hand, the handmake. But actually, that also exists in... Metal, metal, metal work as well. Like, yeah, it, and there's plenty to be argued for. It's it. It's still pretty much made by hand, and and you know we we computerized you know the, some of the bends, but um, it's all welded and hand sanded and then painted. So it's it's touched by artisans, each piece. So it's made with a lot of care. Absolutely. Well, and to throw it back to you two, um, I'm just very curious. Like as we brought up toward the beginning how you work with set decorators and how that kind of embraces the whole idea of circularity as well. Like, I feel like you're, you're feeding this whole industry out here in a very cool way that I didn't even realize. Well, um, it, it's kind of a surprise to me too. Uh, as things have evolved, I said, by 50 years, by day I sold industrial equipment and I bought and sold estates at nights and weekends. And, we're, and then when I kind of semi-retired from that, by the way, I am the oldest material handling saleswoman in the country. I, that's been a firm now. Wow. Um, and um, that um, when we, when I started filling the warehouse with things, uh, I would buy it. I didn't care if it was broken or rusty or chippy or dented or anything else. I just knew I could fix it a little bit. And that, well, uh, the set deckers came along one by one. It was, they found me. And um, the whole set for uh, Netflix's Rebel Moon, uh, they got out of my junk bin, <laughs> and uh, it was all, it couldn't be metal, it had to be wood, so I had all the old wood that they wanted to build these barricades. And um, there was a gentleman I saw here today, one of my first customers way back, he bought a mid-century table from me that they used in a Muppet movie, and he reminded me of that, which I uh, didn't know, but, but the, um, the set decorators have a unique eye, they'll ask me, uh, we're looking for the, I says, no, no, you need to come and look. That, I might get close to what you want, but I'm just not the designer. But I've got enough stuff here, you, you're going to find something. And luckily they are, and um, coming more and more. And, and now that the strike is over, they're ramping up like crazy. I am so glad I've bought and bought and bought. We're full. <laughs> come on over. <laughs> 
I think one of the things that, uh, that Judy offers is such a variety of items. So we don't necessarily look for items that we only we like, we look for items that other people might like. So it, when she goes in, she will take it all and try to buy as much because part of the sustainability is you really have to be able to find people that are willing to go out, purchase these items and store those so that a consumer has a place to shop. If, if people are not doing this, they're not gonna find the items. So Judy has really facilitated, uh, not only for homeowners, but for um, set decorators. And for a long time, it was very hush-hush because they don't like to give out their resources. But as the word spread, they just love to come. And most of the time, they have a very keen idea about what they're looking for. So for example, um, for one set, they needed a couple of tennis rackets. Well, you know, Judy had 60 tennis rackets. <laughs> so they were able to go in and to just be able to buy. And oftentimes then they put their items in a warehouse so then it can be repurposed for others. But uh, for the Disney movie, the latest Haunted Mansion, a lot of beautiful, beautiful pieces came uh, from Judy, so. Oh my gosh, I love that. I'm gonna be the, looking the for the organ, vintage the pieces then. The organ especially, the organ was from a beautiful the, Okay, the organ in the Haunted Mansion, we all have to look for this. Uh, Amazing. It was all, the pipes were all hand painted. Also, you're sourcing German. organs? And now they've, they've changed it all, basically, to look more haunted. But it was actually in an art piece. It was an art piece on a wall, uh, on the floor, but against a wall, in a $9 million home. And when the realtor called me, she said, you got, you got to take everything. And I said, well, so three 15-foot trucks, we got it all. And the organ was one of them. And, uh, and so sometimes you've just got to do that to save it and to pass it on. I'm curious for you all, like, you know, everyone in this room, we've all collectively been through the pandemic. And one of the things that was going on during that was that all of a sudden, like, shipping things from overseas ground to a halt. And then everything got stuck in the Suez Canal. And then everything got backordered because people weren't actually making it. And then all those things that were coming from the more big box stores were suddenly late and months and months and months would roll by before anyone could get them. And I feel like in that place, um, happily, this idea of circularity, again, like rose in people's minds because people were like, oh, well, where else can I get things? Maybe I'll come to Judy's store. Um, but Nancy, as the designer up here, I was wondering if like that had happened to you for clients you had during that time, and if people like kind of were starting to embrace some more alternative ways of looking at how to get items, or or just being more open to having items that are either sourced closer to home or otherwise. Like I feel like there's a million stories with that. Absolutely, we. Um our custom furniture business did well during COVID, um, again, because people could not get their hands on anything. And that was sort of a beautiful, eye-opening experience for a lot of people because they realized, oh, wow, this sofa I had custom made, it cost more than I would have gotten somewhere else, but it is a nice, well-made piece of furniture that will stand the test of time. You can always recover it, you know, 10 years down the road or whatnot. So um, that, that was a very nice thing that happened for our business and then opened up 
the eyes to other designers as well that um, certain pieces, if you're having made custom, can really elevate your space and you can mix it and be eclectic. And then another thing that we, we do a lot of, it's not exactly repurposing or keeping something that's old, but a lot of designers, and again, designers are dealing with clients and budgets, right? So you've got to be very thoughtful and creative in how you're making these beautiful spaces, sometimes with this budget and sometimes with this or a mix. So what we're doing a ton of is designers will find pieces. They might not be vintage, but they're, they're already made. But the fabric is, I'll just say, vanilla. It's, it's not exciting. It's, you know, just plain. And we reupholster it. And they were able to acquire the piece at a price point that allows them to buy an amazing fabric, pay for the reupholstery, and you've got, a, you've got something that will stay in your home longer than if you just bought something that was kind of plain and boring. So in a way, that does add to keeping things out of the landfill. They, they will hold on to that chair longer because it looks more special. So that, that really started happening, and that trend is still happening a lot. We, we're seeing things come in that we're making look different all the time. I love that. Yeah. Well, and Moya, you might have similar stories yourself because I believe you're making everything locally as well, right? Yeah. Um, COVID was good for us uh, because, you know, most of the high-end designers tend to buy from Germany and, and, and Italy sure. for their kitchens. And so, you know, and then parts missing. You know, it's going to take another 16 weeks maybe to get that part. So we, we did gain a lot of access to some higher-end interior designers because we make it right here in Orange County. So that, that, was, that was great. And also I think COVID made us more aware. You know, things mean something now. Like, you know, we spend so much time at home. You know, where you sit on your couch, all that stuff has meaning now. And so if we curate it and we collect it, and we make everything mean something, and you don't have to have so much, but just have things that mean stuff, not just stuff you just buy and then you throw it away later. Buy something that actually means something, has a story, tells your tale of your travels or your parents or something. I think that's really, you've, you've touched on the heart of what I think is the best about what we're all seeing with this whole world of circularity is that home does mean something different now. And yes, like we all kind of went through something that you could arguably say is like, collective trauma in a way, like it touched everyone in some way. And so now home means something different and like products that have a story behind them or like maybe something you can get that you can change in some way so it's just personal to you. It does mean something different. Um, and for you too, like obviously, you're, you're seeing like the spillage of all these things, like you're seeing it all come to be. Um, did you feel like you had even maybe a different type of person coming through your doors in these last few years, or has it changed a lot since then? Obviously, we talked about the set decorators, so they've come through the doors. You know, it's, it's pretty much remained consistent, would you say, too? Um, um, whether they come in as a, as a couple or as a single or, or a, a, a group that are getting an apartment together uh, and everybody's got a little different taste, um, they seem to come up with what will fit. We, we do suggest sometimes that they, that they layer with some of the good pieces first and then 
decide on the pictures and the tchotchkes and that kind of thing. But Lenora is so fabulous with them at that. Um, I've got the stories about it, but she can tie it all together for them. <laughs> I think, again, it's just a lot more, uh, you know, young people. I think you'd be pretty surprised if you came by. There's just, you know, a, a people of all cultures, all types of relationships and different age groups. Um, it, it just, it spans all generations. And that's one of the wonderful things about uh, Vintage Junction is the people that we meet. We, we make friends and then they take these pieces home and they have them reupholstered or they have them, you know, uh, power code, just do put their spin on it and then send us pictures and we're like, oh my And invite gosh. us to dinner. I'm oh like, did gosh. we sell that? Aww. I never saw that. I want to get that back. It's amazing what people do with a little bit of a great piece and creativity. I mean, I, it, you know, I, when they send me pictures, I thought, oh, that's never what I would have maybe thought to do with it. But people are so creative and have such wonderful ideas. So I think during the pandemic, a lot of people really tapped into that. You know, what, you know, I can't really buy things. I can't go out and get things. But what do I have and what can I do with it? And so I think we have more people that have found that passion. Uh, one more thing to add to that. So bigger picture here, too, is... If you buy things made in California, you buy things by people sell in California, that make things in California, you're creating jobs in California. When you buy stuff from you know, these other big box stores that you know, have the guy standing there in LA, I, I, I make these rugs. He doesn't make the rugs in LA, okay? People, he makes them by some barefooted kid in China probably. So, I mean, just, just be aware of that as well. That's a really good point too. Like again, there's, there's a feel good factor to this. And the more you know of that story, the more you're aware of those stories behind all of these things the more informed you can make of a choice like that. Like, um, to rug companies specifically, like, there are a lot of companies out there that do, I forget, I actually forget the label they have, but they make sure that those practices are not um, done by barefoot children in China. And I hope that anyone here would purchase a rug that is responsibly, sustainably, hopefully, created like that too. I mean, just do so, your research a little bit. Do your research. Don't, don't believe all the marketing stuff you read in these, ma no, I'm sorry. <laughs> the people. Well, so you're in a highly regulated industry too. The VOCs that you have to account for, uh, all of those things are a lot different than maybe the rest of us. And so what she has to go through with government regulation is right. tremendous. And that's California. why so much of it went to Mexico, and where they didn't have regulation, so the air quality was worse. But uh, yeah, painting and powder coating is pretty regulated. I'm sure you can relate to this too as you have employees and whatnot. Um, it's tough to have a small business in California. I mean, there's a lot of things we have to pay for and a lot of hoops we have to jump through. And, you know, sometimes people might say, oh, that's so pricey or why is that sofa so expensive? I mean, the people that work for me are like family and they're paid fairly and they're treated well and they work hard and, and we have to we have to pay a lot to be here in especially Southern California. So there, you are helping to support families and people, you know, it, it's important. That's, that's a key part to making those choices for yourself and what you're going to purchase. But for the rest of you, I'd love to hear like one thing that someone could do today. We've already talked about some of them. Like Nancy, I feel like your one thing could almost be like <laughs> reupholster something. <laughs> 
and keep it versus, versus letting it go. Definitely. That's huge. I mean, in my industry, we, we encourage that. We love it. We see it a lot. It's amazing. Um, also, just be thoughtful about the choices you're making and kind of like your program, it doesn't, everything doesn't have to be new. How can I keep the things I have possibly and move them or add an interesting throw or change your artwork or reframe something. I mean, there's a million different things. Or reach out to local craft people and support that industry to bring that into your home. There's a, I don't know, I could sit here all day and talk about that. But it's um, just think in a creative way and it, things will appear to you. You'll be driving down the street and you'll see something cool. You'll go see these ladies, which I will be coming to see you next weekend. So excited. Love um, this. Yeah, so it's, it's all out there. You just have to use your creativity. And some people might think, I'm not that creative. But you are if you just look around and get inspired by something. It's actually fun. So do it. I go with what she said. <laughs> but if I could say one thing, just when you have a choice, and sometimes maybe something's a little more expensive or but it's a choice of being made here or being made overseas, try to buy here once in a while because it does create a lot of jobs. And then just buy pieces that mean something. Just not, yeah, yeah like, don't, oh, I need that. I need it tomorrow. I'm going to get that. No, just... Don't just, buy crap? Don't buy crap. Yeah. Don't buy crap. <laughs> I think uh, also realizing that creating a home space takes time. So take the time Look through beautiful magazines. Look through things that you like. What brings joy to you? And wait until you can find that special piece rather than just buying, buying, buying to fill a space. And also donate to thrift stores or to schools or there's so many organizations that you can donate uh, to. So I think uh, donating is, is certainly uh, important. But I, I think waiting and fine-tuning and really finding out what it is that you want and that it will carry you throughout, let's say, apartment living or home, change of home. Uh, so just give yourself some time. The nice thing is you can start this very minute. Start today. Some piece that you find in your home or somewhere else. There, there's no reason to wait. Uh, there's song that says, you know, there's no less days uh, to, than when you start. So just start. Um, that's how I did. I just started and suddenly here I am with more space than I need probably. But it, it, the, the kids that come in and say, oh, this is what we want to do. And I said, well, you work 50 years and save your money. You, you buy a decent piece of property and you pay the insurance and the taxes and the, all of this and you'll be here someday. But start with just one piece. Thank you all for coming. Thank you all for having this discussion with me. This is wonderful.